Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Amen. So good to be back home. This is great. It's exciting to see each and every one of you. This is the longest I've gone without getting to preach. Five weeks I've been gone, so it's good to be back. Good to be here this morning. And would you take your Bible to the book of Romans chapter number six. Romans chapter number six. And as you're turning there, I'm going to make an announcement. But this announcement is for all the men in the room. We have a men's conference that we're doing in the month of September. All the details are in the lobby, but here's the deal. It costs $245 per man to go. And we want every single guy, a part of Southridge, to go. If you've never been to a men's conference, you need to come to the men's conference. It's going to be a great time. Uh, ladies, you want your man to go to this conference, all right? Just send him, okay? Just take some money and send him, and then you can go shopping. You can do whatever you want to do, or you just get him out of the house, out of the way. So you want to send him, but signups are in the back. The spaces are actually limited. And so here's the deal. We need you to sign up, but then we also need you to pay up, okay? Because guys were really good about saying, yeah, I'll go, and then we don't pay, and then we don't show up. But here's what I know. If I've got some skin in the game, I'm going to show up, okay? So you can pay either through the offering, you could just designate it for the men's conference, or you can go onto our online app and you can sign up that way. If you say, you know what, man, I wish I had $245 to go, would you see me? We have some people that would love to sponsor you so that you can go, but we don't want to miss out. We would hate the fact that there was five empty spots where we could have had some people that needed the encouragement, needed to be around some other guys and just uh, be together. So don't miss out on it. All right, you have your Bible, Romans chapter number six. I'm going old school today. That's why I have the tie on. So I'm going to use the uh, good old King James today. And so Romans chapter number six, I want to begin reading in verse number 11. We're going to read just 11 verses together. Once again, thank you for being here. It's great to see you. I hope to get to know you better after the service. So would you please, please stop by and say hello afterwards because I want to catch up and talk with you. Verse 11 of Romans chapter number 6 says this, Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye yourselves members of instruments of unrighteousness but unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then, shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey? Whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit have you then? In those things whereof ye are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now then being made free from sin and become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take the word. I pray that you would do something supernatural with it in our hearts. Your word tells us so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I pray, Father, that as we hear these words, faith would spring up anew and afresh in our hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Today, there's a subject that I think too often doesn't get taught on and too often I think gets neglected, missed out on, and that is the subject of the power of God. And if there's ever a time that people needed the power of God, it's today. There's a great lack of the power of God. 
Now, I think too often when we hear that term, especially if you're not familiar with church or maybe you're new and you're like, this is exactly what I was afraid of. They're gonna start talking about powers. And I thought that was for the MCU and DC that, that had nothing to do with Christians. However, Jesus Christ said, I have come to give you that power that the Holy Spirit, he will empower you because without the power of God, how are you gonna break addictions? How are you gonna find deliverance? Without the power of God, how are you gonna see the marriage restored? Without the power of God, how are you gonna overcome that anger? How are you gonna overcome your past and your shame without the power of God? And too often, you and I, we look at the power of God and we kind of think, well, that's an that's a old thing. We don't really need that. And look where our world is at today because we don't have the power of God. Because we've taken the power of God and we've said, we can kind of do this on our own, God. So watch us work. And God has said, okay, if you want to try this on your own, I've come to empower you. I told the apostles to wait until they're endued with power from on high, Acts 1.8. I told them to wait for it. And however, today we are kind of just done waiting it and we're just kind of gotten used to doing life on our own, in our own strength and in our own power. And maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, well, maybe there's a supply chain issue with the power of God. Maybe there's just not enough. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Apostle Paul said, And my speech and my preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We need the power of God. In Matthew, before Christ ascended, he said, all power is given unto me. So is there a lack when he says all? The word all, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a really complex word. It actually means all. So when it comes to the word of power of God, God says, I've got it all. So there's not an there's issue with the supply. There's an issue with the demand. There's no demand for God's power. Because you and I have gotten used to doing this in our own strength. We've gotten used to that our, our spouses, our marriage just lives with tension. We've gotten used to the fact that we're just never going to overcome that addiction. We've just gotten used to the fact that we're a gossip, we're sin. We've just gotten used to the fact that the world is getting worse and worse. And we just kind of step back and just say, well, shrug our shoulders. That's the way it is. When God has sent you and I to be salt and light as a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. So your light should not be hid. However, when you and I don't have the power of God, how can the light shine? I can't have a light that is powered or connected to nothing and expect it to give off any light. It needs a source to get the power. And yet Christians today, you go and do your ministry, you go and serve, you go and meet people, you go into your family and you're wondering, why do my finances struggle? Why does my relationship struggle? Why do my job struggle? Why is everything struggling? And I'm here to tell you, I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to preach a series of messages in this message and then over the next five weeks, we're going to walk out the series. So I'm going to do a 30,000-foot flyover of this series. The series is entitled Principles of Power, and today's message is called All In. But I want to teach you about the principles of power. Understand this. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is not a respecter of persons. Amen? God is a respecter of principles. Let me say it again. God is not a respecter of people, but he's a respecter of principles. And when you respect the principles, the principles respect you. But we in the church no longer follow the principles that lead us to show us how can life work? Because it's not working. Suicide's on the rise. You see people with substance abuse on the rise. Incarceration on the rise. Fraction of families on the rise. And we just sit back and we're saying, what do we do? And God's like, I got a solution for it. And it was in Romans chapter number six. There was a word that kept popping up. And I'm going to come back to it. But first, I'm going to tell you a little story. 2000, I would work at a camp in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I was a cowboy. 
Uh, I love working around horses. I've always loved horses. I even own a horse. I'm, I'm just a, a cowboy at heart, and I, I love everything that has to do with horses. And it was my first summer at this ranch in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So the other cowboys had been working there a couple years. So anybody that was new, they would do a little bit of what I would call hazing, a little initiating. And so for the summer, they would give you a horse, and that was your horse for the summer. You took care of it. You did everything for your horse. So they gave me Little Red. Now, can I tell you, Munces, Little Red is a little terror. That's what Little Red was. You couldn't ride her. She was ornery. She was stubborn. You see, horses have a little metal bit that goes into their mouth, and that's how you can control them. But Red would use her tongue and push the metal bit into her teeth, bite down on it, pull the bit, and take off. And there's nothing you could do about it. If she wanted to go under some low-hanging branches to clothesline you and knock you off, which she did, that's what she would do. But Little Red, which is ornery, nasty, ugly horse too. Just kind of an ugly little horse. I just got to tell you, I just didn't like the look of her. She had this nasty scar on her neck because she was wild child. She reared up one time and fell, hit a fence post, almost gorged herself and got a nasty scar. She had little knobbly knees. She was short. She just looked like a reject horse. And in the South, they don't particularly like anybody from California. All right? And so they were like, Micaiah, we have the perfect horse for you. And out they parade Little Red. And Little Red and I just, oh, we were just at each other. I mean, if this horse was a human, I mean, this horse was pretty smart. This, this horse, she messed with me, guys. I mean, just, she just knew she was getting in my head. And man, I couldn't stand this horse. Every morning, we'd get up early at five in the morning, we'd have to feed, and I'd just be looking at her, I'd be like, Red, you would make a really good glue stick. You know, you, you'd really be good for glue. And man, she would look at me, she tried to kick me, bite me, the whole summer. Can I tell you, little Red, that whole story took place 20 years ago when I was 16. And here I'm still talking about it. Horses can run on average 30 to 55 miles per hour, pretty fast. I can run that fast if there's donuts and tacos. I can run fast. Other than that, I'm slow. Horses weigh anywhere from 900 to 1,200 pounds. A draft horse will weigh 1,500 pounds. There is pure muscle there, potential there. But because Little Red wouldn't let me have control, here's the key word, wouldn't yield, that power went unused and untapped. Not because it wasn't there, because she wouldn't yield, Thomas. God, if you are a born-again child of God, has put the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is called the Greek word dunamis. Same word where we get the word dynamite. It's there inside. We're, we're singing a song, and I love the worship team. They didn't, they didn't do it. Spirit, come down. He already did. If you're saved, he already came down. He doesn't need to come down again. He's inside of you. The problem is, you and I have the same problem as Little Red. And the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter number 6, is trying to drive home one word. You heard it five times. It was the word yield. Maybe you caught it. I have it underlined. I have it highlighted. Matter of fact, my wife gets a word for the year, and her word was yield. Here's what's crazy about the word yield. I would rather have the word stop than yield. Because at least if I get to the stop first, I get to go first. But if you come to a yield and you're first, you don't get to go first. Because a yield means whoever's coming, they go first. So I would rather have a stop sign than a yield sign. And many of us Christians, we feel like I'm a better Christian, I should go first. And God's like, that's not how yield works. It doesn't matter if you have a nicer car, you don't go first. It doesn't matter if you're a nicer driver, you don't go first. It doesn't matter if you have more money in the bank, you don't go first. You see, Christians today, we, we, if we're honest, we have a big problem with yielding. We don't yield to nobody. 
And there's this battle that's taking place. And God is saying, if you want to understand the principles of power, you need to understand how to yield. Now, when it comes to yielding, you and I, we have a lot of tough things. We don't like to yield. We don't like to submit. We don't like to surrender. It seems like we're admitting defeat. We're waving the white flag. It just seems foreign to us. And we're sitting here now and we're saying, don't talk to me about yield. Because yield kind of has a double meaning, doesn't it? It means to take my possession and to give it to somebody else. Yield can also mean like I yielded a harvest or I have high yield interest bonds. It yields something. So it's something that you can give, but it's also something that produces. Isn't that kind of amazing? That yield is a possession that also produces. Now follow me, track with me. Because like I said, we're doing a whole series in the next 25 minutes. And that's going to be hard, but I believe we can do it. And so we're looking at this word yield, but I want to see a real life application of the word yield. Because many people, they are saved, but they're not surrendered to God. And you can be saved and not surrendered. And some people immediately think, no, 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 no. The moment you receive Christ, then you're surrendered to him. No, you're not, because... The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, which is his seminal writing. And the Romans he was writing to are saved believers. He's saying to these Christians, you guys are yielded to the wrong thing. He said, you've yielded as instruments of unrighteousness. The word he says, yielded instruments, it's the word weapons. Instrument is the word weapons. He's saying, you're like soldiers that took your weapons, walked over to the enemy and said, here you go. And then you walk back to God saying, God, I don't know why I'm getting defeated. And God's like, You handed the enemy all the weapons that I gave you. You handed him the sword of the spirit. You handed him the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel. You just handed it to the enemy. That's what Paul's saying. Can lost people hand spiritual weapons to the enemy? No. Only Christians can. When you're saved. But are you surrendered? Some of you are struggling with this thing of surrender. So let's go to Luke chapter number five. Would you turn there? Luke chapter number five. I want to, over the next several weeks, study this passage of scripture because you need to get this. Luke chapter number five, we meet Peter. He's going to be the great apostle Peter. He's going to do great things. But at this point in his life, he's not Peter. He's Simon. So don't let it confuse you. Verse number one, the Bible says this. One day as Jesus was preaching on the seashore of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the words of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Here's the thing. He says something and he gives a detail that we just kind of walk right over. Something about the boats. There's two of them. And what did he say about those boats? Were they full or empty? They're empty. So Jesus sees two empty boats. This is important. And then he says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, that's Peter, its owner to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Whose boat is it? Is it Jesus' boat? It's Simon's boat. Could Simon have said no? To Jesus using his boat? Sure he could. Some of you asked to borrow your boat, and you're like, nope. Actually, I've never asked, so that's a lie. Maybe you wouldn't say no. But here Simon says, I got a boat, you can use it, it's empty. And verse number four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, no, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets are so full of fish, they begin to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. So we have empty boats to fill boats. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught and as were with the others. 
For his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Write this down if you would. Yielding to God is an intentional act with eternal consequences. Simon was a fisherman who at the end of this passage, Jesus says, you're no longer a fisherman, but you're a fisher of men. When you yield to God, it's an intentional act with eternal consequences. Because when you see someone's life pass from death to life, when they're saved, they have an eternal destination. It's an eternal home. So when you have yielded to Christ, this is not just a simple thing. This is a big thing that has happened. God is doing something great where he's saying, I am going to unleash something, but it can only happen when you have yielded to God. Simon Peter says, I'll yield. But here's the amazing thing. God doesn't demand control. He waits for you to yield it to him. God's not demanding control over your life right now. There's a struggle that's happening in this room and all over this campus this morning. It's the struggle of surrender. We could go into Ridge Kids and go into the nursery. And in the nursery, there's a child who just picked up a toy. In the other opposite end of the nursery, there's another child who is playing with a different toy. But when the child who has the one toy, who was completely happy, Robert, with the toy, but because they saw the other child get a different toy, suddenly the toy that the child had is no longer good enough. They don't want this toy. They don't want that toy. So they drop their toy. They walk over, waddle over, crawl over. And they take the toy from the kid. And then if the kid looks at him, may punch him, may cry, but there's a little battle of wills going on between those two little toddlers. There's a struggle. Can I tell you that same struggle's happening now all across this room? God is saying, I'm not gonna take control. You have to yield it to me. Because love doesn't take and God loves you, so he's not going to take it from you. So you say, I don't know what's going on with my marriage. And God's like, well, you're in control. You haven't allowed me in. I don't know what's going on with my children. God's like, well, you haven't allowed me in control, so it's on you. I don't know what's going on with my business. God's like, well, you haven't allowed me in, so it's all on you. But the moment you open the door, the moment you say, God, I will let you into my boat. I will let you into my life. God says, excellent. I'll take that which was empty, and I will fill it. That's what God wants to do. Where there was no hope, God pours in hope. Where there was demonic oppression, God says, I will deliver you. Where there was substance abuse, God gives you victory. Where there was divorce, where there was distance, where there was struggle, where there was temptation, God says, let me in the space, yield to me the space, and I will show you what I can do in that space because I have all power. And once that power is released, that's when change begins. But until you and I understand that we've got to yield, there's no power coming out of you. Even though you have all the power you need. On vacation, we rented a car because my car has 186,000 miles. I love my car because it's paid off. All right? It's nothing better than making no payments on a car. So we rented a car through Costco, got a good deal. But I got to tell you, Rod, I don't know how to drive these new cars. Now, I know I sound old when I say that. But I got in there and they didn't hand me a key. They put a chip in my forehead. It's really cool. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, guys. Just kidding. They handed me this key fob, and I was like, all right, no problem. Get in. And I was looking for, like, some type of a gear shifter thing, and it wasn't there. It's all just buttons now. And then these new cars, you don't even drive them anymore. They drive themselves. There's nothing you got to do. I mean, I put Kane in the front seat. I took a nap. It was great. I mean, this thing just goes. But I couldn't figure out this car because I was like, I know as I'm going up these mountains, I know it's got more power. This guy told me, oh, I'm going I'm to upgrade you. I'm going to give this thing. He's got a V8, but it's all supercharged, something else. And I was like, it says it's the Denali, but I, I don't see any of that Denali power. I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing it. And then as I'm there, you know, I have to fake it. I can't let Jane know that I'm an idiot. So I'm trying to cover it up. And so we're sitting there and we're at a rest stop. She's in the restroom. And I look over to the left of the driver's side. And then I see V4, V8, four-wheel drive, two. Oh. 
I'm not going to tell Jane that I've been in two-wheel drive, four-cylinder, when I should have been in eight, all four wheels, you know, going up those mountains. I had the power. I didn't know how to use the power. You and I have the power. We're not using the power that's at our disposal. And we wonder why we're going through life as weak Christians. Here's the deal. Wickedness isn't your problem. Weakness is. Many of you are not struggling with wickedness. You're struggling with weakness. I'm not going around. None of you robbed a bank. None of you are like, hey, pastor, I got a really good tithe this week. I just hit up Wells Fargo. Don't worry about that building, pastor. You'd have to start a prison ministry, but I mean, hey, it's, it's okay. I got you covered, Jesus' name. No, you didn't do that. There's nobody passing out communion. You're like, ah, oh, let's do it with communion. Let's just pass out drugs. Nobody doing that. Wickedness isn't your issue, it's weakness. The church is weak, but yet we don't even know. We don't even address it. It's one of those just kind of like the elephant in the room. We just don't talk about it. That you and I will go Sunday after Sunday. We're like, why is nobody getting life changed? Why is nobody getting baptized? We've been in the building just three months, baptized eight, and another six are getting baptized today. Come on, church. That's God moving. God wants to do so much more through this city. And it's going to start through Christians who say, I'm yielded to God. You see, in this passage, we see Peter, he does something. He says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go out because Jesus tells him, hey, Peter, let's go out a little bit deeper. And I love what Peter says because it's exactly what I would say. Peter said, Jesus, I have fished all night. I've been at this all night and I caught nothing, Jesus. What is he trying to say? He's trying to give God a logical excuse for disobedience. He's trying to justify it. He's trying to say, I know you want me to go farther and let's go catch some fish. But Jesus, all night is 12 hours. I was out there, a fisherman, and I caught nothing. You want me to go back to my failure? And some of you right now, you've sat on failure and God is calling you to go back to something. You're like, I already failed. You're wanting me to go back out to the failure? It's not even like, oh, it's been a couple days. He got to emotionally get over it. It's like, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You just clean those nets so they're ready to go. Let's go now. Some of you, God is calling you to go back to your failure because as a person who is yielded, this is a defining moment. And some of you are here and this is a defining moment. And you say, what do you mean a defining moment? It doesn't seem that big. That's the key about defining moments. Surrender is subtle. Somebody's wisely said, big doors swing on small hinges. When Peter made the decision to let down the net, it seems like a small act, but it forever changed his life. And that's what we see in this passage. Some of you, you wonder why we ask you to serve in a volunteer team. It's not just because we need more volunteers. It's because we believe that when you say yes to that small act, something's going to happen in your life, not for us. God's going to build his church. It's his church. It's not Micaiah's church. It's not Jane's church. It's not nobody's church. But when you say, Lord, I'm going to take this small step and I'm going to step out, something happens because faith without effort will never be evident. And some of you are like, I got faith. Where's the effort? Because faith without effort is never going to be evident. There should be evidence of your faith. There should be something that you're saying is is working out. And so when Peter let down the net, something began to happen. And for some of you, this is a defining moment. God is calling you to something. And I love what Peter says in verse number five. He says, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so. But if you say so. Can I tell you something, my friend? Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, I say so. And you're sitting there and you're saying, Jesus, you don't get it. I fished all night and I failed. I have nothing. I haven't gone home yet. I've been up. Some of you work all night. Not that I can tell. You look amazing this morning. But some of you work all night. And you get back. You're tired. And here, Peter, he gets back. 
And when somebody calls you out on your failure as a guy, I mean, Peter, the one thing he was, was Peter the fisherman. This is his livelihood, his career, the one thing he's supposed to be good at. And he didn't catch one fish. He didn't catch an itty-bitty minnow. This wasn't he was going to go back to the boys and say, I caught a fish this big. He wasn't doing that. He said, I caught zero fish, zero, nothing. And then here comes Jesus, and Jesus saying, let's go out and let down your net. And Peter's saying, but I already caught nothing. And then I just imagine Jesus looking at Peter and saying, you know, Peter, my father, this is Jesus speaking, my father created the universe out of nothing. And I'm a chip off the old block. I can do a lot with nothing. And in John, it tells us that Peter caught 153 fish. And then the writer John says, and they were big fish. So when he said, I caught this many, he went, they were this big. Because God steps in when you're yielded and things begin to break. So God can step into that nothing. And God can do something, but not until you and I are yielded to it. When you and I say, Jesus, my life is not mine. These are not my hands. This is not my body. It is yielded to you. But here's the best part. Verse number two said empty boats. And then we come to verse number seven. Peter's shouting to help from his partners in the other boats. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. So we start out with empty boats. We end up with filled boats. What does that tell me? Nothing yielded to God stays the same. Nothing yielded to God stays the same. Even Peter's name changes, doesn't it? He's forever changed. That, that right there should radically alter your, your whole view of the Christian life. Because there's not one part in the Bible when somebody said, God, this is all I've got, and God doesn't look at it and say, ah, oh, it's not enough. God says, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. I can do something with that. Moses said, I'm not eloquent of speech. I've got a rod. That's all that's in my hand. God said, throw it down. It became a snake. Gideon was hiding in a wine press, afraid of the Midians. And God says, you're a mighty man of valor. I can take this mighty man with 300 and I can drive out the Midianites. I can change this man. God took a shepherd who was just a teenager and God slew a giant. He turned a shepherd into a giant killer. He took a lad with just a bag lunch and he turned it into a buffet for 5,000 people because God says anything that's yielded to me never stays the same. When you, my friend, yield yourself to God, God says, I will take that and I will transform it. So you may be a teenager in this room and God says, man, I can do something with you. You may be in later years and God says, I can do something with you. You may be middle-aged and broken and battered and beat up from life and God says I can do something with you because I'm good at taking anything that's been yielded and I turn it into something different I can transform it and that's the power of the gospel the power of the gospel is that God transforms things you see a fisherman became a fisher of men Hannah gives birth to a son that becomes a prophet nothing yielded to God ever stays the same Christian, are you the same that you've always been? Then you ain't yielded. And I know that seemed harsh, so I'm going to say it again. Christian, if you are the same that you've always been, then you ain't yielded. Because there's so much more for you. There's a power that isn't waiting to come down on you. It already came down, Acts 1-8, it's here. It's just not released. Some of you are praying God and asking God, I need a greater filling. God's like, you got the filling. I sent the comforter down. Go back to John chapter number 15 and read all about it. Go back to the Acts chapter number one, verse eight. Go to Acts two, verse one. It came down. You and I have it. We're just not using it. And God is looking for some yielded people. Last week, Hal saw our building. And he just walked around. He goes to a church that has a 68,000 square foot campus, about 22 acres, huge, beautiful. And of course, it's built in Florida where land is a little bit cheaper, but 
He walked in here. And we walked in the auditorium, walked in the classroom, saw the offices, and I was just telling about all the blessings that God had did. And then Hal looked at me and he said, aren't you glad you gave God your house? He said, because God gave you one of his as a trade for it. I was like, yeah, he did, didn't he, Hal? Because God doesn't leave you the same. He doesn't leave you worse off. You know, that was my greatest fear as a pastor's kid. Why I never wanted to be in ministry. I didn't want to be worse off. Some of you feel like if you yield everything to God, that your life's going to get worse. And the only person that is teaching and preaching that lie is the devil. Because God is not out there to make your life worse. As a matter of fact, God has come to do the exact opposite. God has come to do something great in your life and mine. But something happened, verse 6. Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. The more you yield to God, the more you will yield for God. It's the law of sowing and reaping. You get more than what you sow. The more you yield to God, the more you will yield. Is your life not producing? Have you taken a personal inventory and said, what have I been sowing? What have I been giving? Peter had nothing, guys. And he brought that. You see, Peter realized something that you and I need to realize. Any potential failure is worth it in an attempt to reach people for Jesus. Peter was willing to say, even if I fail, I'll still follow. Where's the church of the living God that says, God, even if I fail at this, I'll still follow you. Sunday, January 26, 2014. I woke up, I was nervous. I wanted the day to be over. It was the first Sunday of the church. When I say that we had no money, we had no money. A friend of mine from my home church named Tim Blankenship, he had a 16 channel analog board and I had two little passport speakers. They were set up on little stands. I had a box of hymnals, a projector, and then the person that was going to lead worship for the day said he had strep throat. So a buddy of mine who said he's going to be visiting said, hey, can't wait for the service. And I was like, about that, can you lead worship for me today? Then I got up and there was a whopping 54 people in the Oak Ridge Mall movie theater. And I was like, good. Only 54 people. This church will be closed, gone, dead in a few weeks. And then I can go sell cars or something. I was so nervous. I just knew that God had called me to start it. I didn't have to finish. I just had to do what he had told me that I needed to do. And that Sunday, I sat quivering when the worship song got to the third song. Then we had a bumper video. And after the bumper video, I had to preach. And can I tell you this? We couldn't afford a photographer, so there's no videographer. There's one bad picture from an old cell phone, and it wasn't even an iPhone. It's all pixelated. I didn't care. I was like, I don't need a memory of this. I walked out of that day and my dad called me and said, how did it go? I was like, great, it's over, it's done. I don't know. I mean, maybe the church will make it another week or two. But I just told God, I'll just follow you even if I fail. And church, almost 10 years later, look what God's done. Look what God's up to. 10 years later. Some of you, your fear of failing is keeping you from yielding to God. But God wants to use you in a powerful way. Verse 5, Peter says, Master, we worked hard. Master. But then it's interesting. Jacob, Peter calls Jesus master. But then you skip down to verse number nine after he sees all the fish. 
Peter calls Jesus something else. He calls him Lord. You won't yield anything to God until you believe that he is everything. Something had to change in Peter's life. Peter had to stop seeing Jesus as just a good teacher. You know, all your neighbors, they don't have a problem with Jesus. All your coworkers, they do not have a problem with Jesus. It's when you say that Jesus is Lord, that's when they got an issue. And we as the church forget that that's who we're yielded to. I don't yield to a politician. I don't yield to some person. I am yielded to Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler. That's who I'm yielded to. And that changes everything. Little Red. That ugly little wobbly meat horse. The bane of my existence in the summer of 2000. You know, that whole summer I worked with that horse. I didn't get a chance to put this up on the screen, but I got a picture of me and Little Red. That horse, by the end of the summer, I began to trust her. She began to trust me. Because I figured out something about this horse. We would do line trail rides and Little Red was born for something greater. And when you make a horse who was born to run, walk on trails all day, muzzle to rear, it doesn't, it doesn't work for it. Because Little Red wasn't born that way. She was one of those rare horses that was born different, with a passion. And the reason she would bite the bit is because she wanted to run. She was born to run. Just in her. I found out who sired her. Sired means father. And I looked at his genetics. He was a racehorse. Little Red had in her DNA, not the DNA of a quarter horse, but of a thoroughbred racehorse that was born and bred for one thing and one thing only, and that was speed. And I figured that out. So two days before I was to fly home at the end of that summer, we would run the horses out. We were on a 1,350-acre ranch, so a little over two miles. And we'd have to get all the horses to the back area, two-mile run. This would be the last ride. And all summer, the guys had just given me a hard time, like, oh, Little Red's a loser horse and I kid you not little red knew what they were saying and she had enough of an ego she had to prove something on that last ride that last ride we lit out off the field and we were flying I have not been on a horse that could move like little red we would hit a little brook. She would sail over it, just jump. We would come to a small little broken down tree. She would jump over it without missing a stride. We started passing the other riders, passing the other horses. And that's when I just leaned down. And I wanted to get his aerodynamic. And I found her rhythm. And I got in rhythm with Little Red. And that's when I realized this horse was born to run. And as I, we passed everybody, Little Red just winked at him said I had it in me the whole time but it wasn't until she and I were yielded she didn't fight the bit she wasn't searching for control but she surrendered and then I got in rhythm and it changed everything God is looking for some Christians who are yielded surrendered and God says, I will change the world through you. I will change your home, your business, this church, this city. Because God wants you to understand the principles of power 
are tied to yieldedness. And our church will remain powerless until we are yielded, not to each other, but to Almighty God. And this morning, you may have a great plan for your life, but God also has a plan. Are those plans separate or the same? Because this morning, you are one decision away from a radically different life. And it's not just a radically different life. It's a life that can radically make a difference. And that's what San Jose needs this morning. And you can go and have all the great speeches. You can know the law. and You can have degrees. But what God is looking for is somebody that says, God, I don't know much, but God, I'll just be yielded to you. And God will say, that's the person I need. D.L. Moody, the last great evangelist in the 1800s, late 1800s, he said this. He said, God is waiting for one person totally surrendered to me. And with that one person, I will change the world. And D.L. Moody said, by the grace of God, I will be that man this morning. Whether you be man or woman, child, teenager, senior, it does not matter. When you say, God, I'm yielded to you, then God says, step back. The forces of darkness do not stand a chance. The gates of hell do not stand a chance. San Jose does not stand a chance against that type of a person armed with the good news of the gospel. There's no drug addict that stands a chance. There's no brokenness that stands a chance. There's no dysfunction. There's no demon. There is nothing that stands a chance to a Christian who is fully 100% yielded to God that says all bets are off. I'm sold out. I'm all in. I'm putting all my chips into the center. I leave nothing for myself. It's all for my king. It's all for Jesus. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm okay with whatever happens. I will follow even if I fail. That's okay because I'm following my king and my king is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So my reward is up there it's not here you can think me foolish but one day in heaven I'll take off my crown and I'm going to march into the throne room of God I'm going to take what I've earned and I hope I earn a lot because I want to bring a lot to him and I'm going to walk with a head bowed. I said, God, this is everything. And it's all for you. Because what you gave me through Jesus Christ. Oh, I didn't deserve it. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Are you yielded? Are you yielded? This morning, there are those that are going to get baptized. I'm going to invite you to slip out and prepare to be baptized. Worship team, would you come to the platform? The world has yet to see one person fully yielded to Christ. This morning... I don't know if you're saved, but the first step of surrender is to first find a savior in Jesus Christ. That's first. Do you know Jesus as your savior? And then secondly, are you surrendered to him? You could be saved and not surrendered. God wants to do so much, not just in you, but he wants to do it through you. And some of you are content with him just doing it in you. And you've become like the Dead Sea. You take in, and because you give nothing out, you become dead inside. But God has designed you for more. But this morning, you will never realize your full redemptive potential until you yield all to Jesus. The old invitation hymn said, I surrender all. All to him I freely give. We've lost sight of surrendering all. We've changed it to say, I surrender some. I surrender Sundays. 
but I don't surrender anything else. And if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Jesus is not a part-time deity. His throne is not a duplex where you and him both rule and reign. This morning, the decision is clear. Will you yield? Will you surrender? Will you follow the principles for power? Let me pray for you. By an upraised hand, how many would say this morning, I want to yield. I want that power to flow in me and through me. Is that you? Slip up a hand. Oh, amen. I see those hands. Oh, God bless you. Amen. Hands up all over the room. Amen. God bless you. Amen. I see those hands. Oh, amen. You want to put your hands down? The worship team's going to lead us in a song, and maybe during the song you say, I'm going to slip out, I'm going to kneel in my seat, or I'm going to kneel at the altar, but you just say, i got to surrender something. I'm going to teach on the altar of surrender next week. You come back. Because the principles of power are for everyone. God is not a respecter of persons, but of principles. Come back next week as we teach on it. Heavenly Father, what you could do through a room filled with people yielded to you, the world has never seen. The world has seen 11 apostles sold out for you and they took the gospel everywhere. Father in heaven, I have seen over 11 hands raised. That is more than adequate. It is more than sufficient for you to change the entire world in 2023. It's more than sufficient. It's more than adequate. As a matter of fact, it's more than you've had to work with when your son Jesus was here. So Father, today we yield ourselves anew and afresh. Have your way in us. Have your way through us. And the world and the history of San Jose will forever be changed. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Worship team, would you lead us? Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.